It's a great joy to be back at Burlington Baptist Church. Please uh, uh, receive the greetings from your brothers and sisters at Providence Baptist Church in Ferentar in Bucharest. Um, I uh, came uh, here for a Board of Trustees meeting, and I was very glad when uh, Simon extended his invitation, and uh, Peter organized, uh, Peter Williams for me to come, and Peter Brocklesby from um, Stourbridge uh, uh, offered to take me this morning. Um, we, I came to thank you for your help and ongoing interest and concern and love for Project Ruth, and uh, to also thank you for uh, being our partners in this part of the world. And uh, we'd like to improve, as Simon said, this relationship and maybe um, bring new uh, generations of people into this fellowship. I think all of us who have been a part of it, and I talked with some of you already who have links, uh, ongoing links, have been blessed through it. I would like for us to reflect this morning on this text that we have uh, heard read. I know it's not your uh, text for study, but you'll have to bear with a foreigner this morning. So, um, uh, the, the issue I would like for us to reflect on is the issue of identity. I have a, a friend who is a monk in a monastery near Bucharest. His name is Jerome. I have known him for 18, 19 years, and Jerome uh, had to take a monastic oath uh, when he decided to follow that life. And the oath has uh, kind of three sections. One is uh, poverty, he has to give up any wealth. One is chastity, so he has to promise to live a pure life. And one is obedience. And obedience includes obedience to the abbot, uh, not just obedience in general, and the obedience to the abbot includes the rules of the monastery. For example, they have to do a thousand bows each day uh, when he prays. You know, I asked him whether he can do that. Uh, he's about 10 years older than me, and he tells me he doesn't. He just prays to God that he will forgive him. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, when he started this, this uh, uh, life as a monk, uh, and here is a man who has given up his life just to, to be a monk and pray and, and do this, he told me that uh, he had a problem. The church is, uh, the monastery is vegetarian. They can only eat fish at certain times, but he likes a, a good steak. <laughs> so he found that uh, part of the obedience quite difficult, and, uh, but, you know, he, there was nothing to, to, he can do about it. But after about six months, he went home, and his mom fixed him a nice big steak. You know how mothers are. They know what their sons uh, like. So he had to tell mom, mom, you know, I took this oath of obedience. I can't eat steak. You know, it's, it's just against the rules of the monastery. The abbot would be very upset if he finds out. And the mom, a wise woman, said, look, in the monastery, the head of the monastery is the abbot. Here in my house, the head of the house, it's me. So I give you the order <laughs> to eat this steak. And when you go back to the monastery, you follow the abbot. But here you follow the abbotess, who is me. And uh, Jerome pondered a bit and said, Oh, mom, give me more such orders that I can obey. <laughs> uh, you know, it's an issue of identity in the end. Jerome took this uh, oath and changed his life, but uh, uh, it wasn't easy uh, to, to, to take on this new identity. And the issue of identity is not an easy one for us I, uh, also. Uh, Christians who want to live as followers of Christ in today's world... Uh, it's a bit like a cross-cultural experience. And according to Paul, it should be like that because he says that our citizenship is in heaven. So we should feel a bit strange in this world. We should not feel at large. 
always and everywhere. And in the text that was read in a number of verses before the text, Isaiah describes a similar situation which was to happen, which happened with the people of God. And uh, sometimes these kind of obvious things are not as obvious uh, as we think they are. The very people of God who have been defined in their identity by their experience with God, by their walk out of Egypt through a miraculous intervention of God, were to go to Babylon. You know, when they went to Babylon, uh, in, the, in the beginning, they resented all the ways of Babylon in the second exile. You remember the psalmist complaining, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? People brought them there and said, okay, you are jolly good singers. Come on and sing for us. And they say, how can we sing the Lord's song when we are not in, in, our, in our country? We are not in, in the land that God gave to us. But it seems that uh, in time they got accustomed with a new country. It seems in time they got used to the Babylon. And uh, when they were able to return from captivity, some brought with them many of the ways of Babylon. And alas, some brought of them even some of their gods. And the question now was, why not? After all, according to the religion of the time, the gods of the conquerors must have been the victorious gods, must have been better, or, or, or at least have something about them because the victory was won with their help. And the same question remains relevant for us today. This why not is also heard today when the Scriptures challenge us not to be conformed to the image of this age, but be transformed. Why not? Why not? To challenge, to, to address the issue of a challenged identity, Israel had to move in a certain direction, and I think so do we. First of all, one of the things that the Israelites had to learn in Babylon is that God is still interested in them. One of the things God people learned in Babylon is that the system took care of them. You know, gone were the days uh, when they had to walk by faith. There was no need to walk by faith in Babylon because as long as you did what was required from you, the system took care of you. It, the people whose identity was shaped by their faith in God began to like the system. No more need to, to worry about manna every day. You know, when they ate manna every day, some people tried to save it for two days and it, it went waste. They had to trust God every day. Well, now the, the system had supermarkets, superstores. You know, who cares about manna every day when you just don't, don't have to worry about it? Gone were the days when they had to follow the Lord's guidance through the night in a pillar of fire, through the day through a cloud. Now the system offered GPS. It's a big system. Why worry about God's guidance? So, uh, in, in a sense, God were the days when they had to worry about any, every enemy, the enemy from the north, the Midianites, the, the other enemy, because the system has the more, most powerful army in that world. In this new situation, they have to remember that their existence as such people was due to God's initiative. Yes, the, 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 the prophet says, he called them, he made them and formed them in the womb. Because of that, they were commissioned to act in a certain way and create a different kind of world, a different kind of society. God had called them to be like that, to be witnesses for the kind of world he wanted to see. And although they failed again and again in their obedience to God, he remained, God remains faithful to them. And the word of the prophet was that they did not need to feel afraid because God wants to redeem them again. 
He wants to bring them back. You know, the system of their captors was not going to help them anymore. And that's a frightening thing when they returned back to the promised land. But they needed to find out again that their existence as such people was due to God's initiative. And also that God is going to keep his promises and will make a new thing. It is often the doing of the new thing that is the big problem with us. We can cope pretty well with a planned and with the to-be-expected parts of our lives. But surprises are not so easy. If they are good, we cherish them. But we fear what could be bad surprises. And the question for the prophet is whether the people of God can cope in this new situation of freedom. Are these days of choice and responsibility going to be good surprises? Or will they bring pain and suffering for the people of God? So, in verses 16 and 19... Uh, The word of God came to them in the previous chapter. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffled out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. So the prophet reminds them that their identity is, is rooted in an experience with God. Their identity is not rooted in the system, and even if the system goes, they will be okay. Because God has done marvelous things in their lives, and powerful things that only God can do. They should be ready for a new thing. Are you ready for a new thing here? You've been waiting until last week, I heard, but, you know? And and the metaphor is illustrated, um, is used to illustrate the promise, the the image of a desert being brought back to life through the presence of God of water. I remember when I was in this country a long time ago studying, I, was, I went into a dentist shop, a dentist shop, dentist surgery, and you know, they give all these kind of magazines to look at, and I picked up, I think it was National Geographic, and they showed a desert in Australia, and they showed a picture of the desert, uh, it was just like any desert, you know, yellowish and almost nothing, and they had a kind of big rain which happened only five years, six years, I don't know, and they showed a, a picture after the, uh, after the rain. And that desert had exploded in a symphony of color because all the seeds that lay dormant there when the water came sprouted and bloomed. I don't know how much it lasts, you know, a month maybe, because the sun overpowers that, that life and kills them again, or maybe more. But anyway, it was just amazing to see the comparison of a desert and of a desert coming to life. And this is the image which, which, the, which the prophet brings here, which would make sense for, 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 for the Jewish people. Um, God can do a new thing. He can bring a desert to life. We need to be able to trust God as his people. And when God came to this world in the person of Christ, he did a new thing too. It was such an unexpected act that John tells us that he came to his own, but his own knew him not. It was so unexpected. We are so reluctant to give God credit for being able to be God, aren't we? We really think that we can do better in designing a job description for God. We really like that, you know. God should do this. You know, I teach theology, so we do the attributes of God, what he can do, what he cannot do, and God is like that. And we make a nice box, put him on a big pedestal, we call him God. But God is above that. God cannot fit our system. God is above our system. So, first thing they need to learn that they need to rely on God. Second thing they need to, to learn is that their identity as a people 
is in relationship with God. See, in, in, in captivity they were defined as aliens. But as time went, they became accustomed with the system, they got used with it, and some of them liked it. Some of them made, made, made good jobs there. You know, like Romanians coming to this country, or Polish people, they, they know the system, they learn the system, and they make good, good, good positions. But they should have remembered that as the people of God, the call of God came to them as a personal call, not as a thing, not as a system. God is a person, and we see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are defined by their eternal relationship to one another. When God called Israel, He called them to a relationship. He called them to realize that they were truly persons and not things. Their identity was in this personal relationship with God and in their relationship with one another as a community of people of God. The system of their captors replaced that with an ideology, the religion of the empire. A new story, the story of the success of the empire. A new certitude, the things that the system provides. The problem is that when the system goes, everything goes. Israel must remember that their relationship with God is important and recover the understanding that they belong to God. You see that verse, verse that says, one will say, I belong to God. Yes, God is doing a new thing, and religion is not sufficient to cope with that. And I think the failure of, of many Christian churches today is because we have traded faith to religion. We have forgotten to the walk of faith. They need to remember that they belong to God. It's a big challenge for us today. Can we truly say, I belong to God? Like these people had to say in that system. Can we truly say, yes, I belong to God with all what I have, with my money, with my time, with my resources, with my, my, my everything. I belong to God. They, they also need to discover Rediscover, recover the story. You know, see the, the, the next, the next uh, in verse 5, the next thing it says that they were called by the name of Jacob. Yes, the system replaced faith with religion and theology and the story of the walk of God, the God of their fathers, with the story of the system and the success of the empire. But they should know better and so should, and so should we that their story and our stories of journeying with God are better not because they command more success, but because they are real stories. Real stories of our lives, not fabricated, counterfeit stories of propaganda and advertisement which the system sells to us. And then there is an amazing twist here, the last one. They say that some people will say, will write on their hands, I belong, and still another will write on his hand, the Lord's. Some commentators believe that these are not Jewish people. These are people from the Bab Babylonians who, who, when they saw what the Jewish people did, recovering their identity, recovering their walk uh, with God, that became like a faith for them, became like a witness. And they decided to say, I'll write on my hands to the Lord's. And then the text says, and will take the name of Israel. See, when we live authentically our Christian lives, our people see that witness. And when we are able to say, I belong to the Lord, someone else will be impressed by being authentic. And they will say, I want to write on my hand to the Lord's. And they can be given the name of Israel. Christian witness has power 
because it's authentic in our lives. Because our lives are a witness of the new things that God has done. You know, we may not always be glorious and victorious, but we, each one of us here have experienced the new things God has done in our life and in our community. Let's be witnesses of that power so that our people, other people will say, the Lord's. Lastly, when these people find the new identity, this leads to a kind of worship of God, a new relationship with God. You know, Paul says, it is not I that I live, but Christ lives in me. If our identity is that I belong to Christ, I belong to the Lord, it's that kind of life that renews me. And God is to be worshipped because he's their true king, says here the author, and their redeemer. Yes, the system gave them things, religion, comfort, but these cannot be compared with the life that God wants to give them, like rivers flowing in the desert, like the presence of his spirit, the text says. God is the one who redeems them from every situation, and he is their true king. Therefore, he alone deserves to be worshipped. And he reminds them by this, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. And God says, can people say what will happen? You know, I told you in the beginning. Who are all these prophets who created a system? That's our God. But our God is unique. When Jesus came to show us God, the scripture says, in him dwells the fullness of God. There is no God like our God. This is the radical challenge that Christianity brings to modern society, to current political system, to economical solutions, to social engineering, who often claim to be our gods. And as we make God our God, we are challenged to be witnesses that he is the rock. You see, our identity is shaky until we find it and found it on this rock. It is all good and well. Israel, and now we realize that there is no God like the Lord. We are reminded there is no hope even if the system fails, that there is hope even if the system fails. But where do we go from here? Well, the preacher says, this is pretty good stuff to be included in a sermon, and he does include it. Well, the politician says, this is pretty good stuff to be included in my ideology. Maybe people will buy it. Well, the merchant says, we can make T-shirts, armbands, stickers, and this sort of stuff, you know, win-win situations. But the Word of God comes and tells us, do not tremble, do not be afraid. You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? And the answer comes in the same words. No, there is no other rock. I know no one. We are called to be witnesses for a new world of justice, a world where His people live out God's love. And I think this is the challenge for us in Ferentar, and probably for you here. The challenge to live a Christian identity. The challenge to say, I know no other rock but God, and I belong to the Lord. My entire identity, my entire way of thinking and understanding, my entire life is built on this rock. It is not the triumphalism of Christianity, but the genuine living out of Christian identity, which speaks with authentic power in all ages. And I pray for you here and for us in Bucharest that many people seeing our authentic witness in its weakness, in its triumph, will be willing to write on their hands, this person is the Lord's. May the Lord help us to do that. Amen.